The theme for the afternoon talk is the uh, benefits and uh, the limits of the, uh, the path and the goal. We sometimes recognize uh, in our reflections how life kind of moves us along in, um, in a variety of ways. And we could look back sometimes at the past, both from our birth, childhood and babyhood and much more, in which it seems like uh, the very forces of life, of evolution, of nature, of the circumstances, of the social environment which we uh, live in, has such uh, an impact, it seems sometimes we can feel rather helpless in this movement of life. Things happen to us regularly enough which we didn't expect, which are un unwelcome. And we could even consider ourselves, so, uh, so to speak, as kind of almost like a cork, even a cork in the wine bottle, like a cork on the ocean that is just tossed around by the streams of circumstances uh, there. We often tell ourselves, if not each other, uh, as well that we are free but we don't feel especially free we are all told that we have a free choice we don't feel we have a free choice uh, uh, there and even if we feel it why do we find it so difficult to so make these so-called free choices uh, there. so here's this all movement of causes and conditions and forces of life here it is that you and I are moving through this as best we can through this immense process uh, that's going uh, on uh, with us and in the dance of all of that there can be and there might be times where we really have a chance just to re-evaluate and to reassess and look at ourselves where we are in this life. And quite often, two of the very influential uh, voices which arise, which have such an impact, one of course, as we know, is the, the secular uh, voice, and with all that it can offer, with the benefits that it can offer, but also the problems as well and the control that it can offer and feeling trapped with roles and identities. And sometimes the other is the, the world of religion and religions of East and West, of course, I'm referring to here, where so often it depends on a lot of faith, various beliefs, things which we can't really prove, such as what happens to us when we die and much, much more. So we're faced with all, uh, all, all of this. And sometimes those deep questions, somewhat existential questions, touch us in life. And 
even as children as well we we might have asked our parents um, what happens to us when we die why were we born is there a God does life any, have any purpose uh, to it and sometimes the, uh, the children are asking deep spiritual questions and it's really unfortunate if the parents saying oh I don't know don't ask me we need to find out not only for ourselves but for the little ones as well to keep the spirit of inquiry and questioning alive <coughs> and sometimes <coughs> for some in the concerns or in the struggle or just in the curiosity one wonders possibly to oneself is there some alternative to what the mainstream offers is there an alternative and that alternative may set one looking in a different direction that movement in a different direction requires from us a certain level of trust of course initially the trust may be external but hopefully briefly there's a certain trust in being here you didn't, some of you, many of you didn't know us uh, uh, who are here didn't know of Tovna so prior to coming if it's your first time there's a certain trust that it might possibly be helpful that trust in that is the wish of course that the experience is the confirmation it rests on experience and it can be from experience of something helpful and valuable the curiosity and the interest begins to expand a little further is there more to explore more to find out and the outcome of that for some is to say it's not an imperative it is to say I find myself at the moment or in this time of my life interested we might call it spirituality we might call it the practice we might call it uh, following a path developing a path and that exploration of development of a path in a very conscious way trusting in experience rather than external authorities provides some opportunity to see one's relationship in which there is a fresh direction in life and if that freshness of direction in life is to develop it will require unmistakably sometimes real changes in one's life and it is not easy for women and men because of the historical background because of our history our, as they would say in the East our karma or our conditioning to really look at that and to see what is it inside of myself that really needs to develop and to be so committed to that everything else in terms of priorities begins to take a second place and with the view sorry 
with the view that in the exploration and the looking at uh, a path to contribute to the fullness of, of life, we need to be able to name that which needs development. I can't, as a human being, develop into the fullness of an enlightened and liberated life if I'm not naming what I've got to work with. I've really got to see what do I actually have to attend to. Because if I don't attend, it will haunt me. It will be there in my consciousness somewhere. And somehow, either to myself or to the other, that which is unspoken has to be spoken. That which has been ignored has to be known. The richness of the human being is the capacity with all that the being, as it were, holds in itself to shift things and it's no easy undertaking as I said from the unspoken to the spoken to the ignored to the felt and when something is moving into consciousness which means into the here and now into the living present with all the difficulties that may go with it there is a chance for some realisation it can't happen hidden it can't happen pushed away in the corners of the mind because that which is ignored or pushed <coughs> away or forgotten is what is contracting our life and it's our undertaking as an aspect of the path to have a quiet courage uh, we might say with the good support of others to help bring about and release and to allow and it's not only allowing what is ignored or rejected or forgotten but it's allowing also what is deep and beautiful we pay a heavy price in life if we're not following a path which is taking us to the deep and it's not surprising how easy it can be in life we're kind of kind of getting on with our life moving along with it but we're not sensing sometimes and realizing how small a box we are in we've got so used to day-to-day -day struggles and some pleasures and some pains and some satisfaction and dissatisfaction and some success and some failure We've got so used to that rather restricted world, we hardly know that there is an environment or a realm of discovery far bigger than that. And it's worth finding out what that is. It's worth knowing about it. In order to get our kind of small world which we've become enclosed in to get some space and perspective around it that's a sense of something larger sometimes a sip of the uh, dear old water here it's a hot country <laughs> 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 frankly in more ways than one 
it's sparkling water. I'm not sure why I like it, but maybe I just like the word sparkling. I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> So, in the naming process, in the uh, exploration, with the, uh, the teachings, in its most classical sense, uh, there, for this richness of the being to, e- to emerge uh, there, uh, the Buddha formulated it into what is called the Eightfold Path. Actually, I think these days it should be the Ninefold Path. I'll come to that in a moment. And with the... Uh, it is to know each this is the naming to know each one what's my relationship to understanding and the word there's a quick Pali lesson for the moment the word samar is often translated as right right understanding or right view uh, right intention right communication right speech right livelihood uh, there which includes lifestyle, um, uh, right creative energy or effort, um, mindfulness and um, uh, meditation. But the word actually is that which is fulfilling. If I take those eight areas, understanding and view, intention, speech, communication, uh, three, uh, action, um, effort to remember them all here don't I and um, um, mindfulness and uh, concentration or uh, samadhi and livelihood this is the eight of them and I take all of those eight it might be useful to recognize and name them and then to ask oneself is there one or two of these at this point in my life that I really need to develop it, 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 it's unfortunate that the message goes out which is not in the Dharma Buddha Dharma that somehow if I just sit and meditate everything will get clear and I'll get liberated enlightened and realised and so forth and this was the view 2600 years ago of the yogis the yogis really had this view and the view was, you sit, you meditate, you don't make any new karma, you keep sitting, you exhaust your old karma by not making any new because you're on your ass the whole time. And, excuse the vernacular, no don't. And, and you sit in med- and then at some point you have a transcendent experience and when you've had a transcendent experience you have gone beyond body and mind and this is liberation this was the tradition of the yogis and the Buddha dismissed it had no regard for it threw it away but the picture, image, story of it has carried on generation after uh, generation and it's still the shadow of this is still sticking around rather than seeing as the path is it's a total exploration of the human experience and therefore the view and the understanding and talking and listening and action in the world and effort 
and uh, some meditation and mindfulness they are named and the reason that, that the naming is there is in, or, is in order to remind you and to remind me, all of us these are important areas of our life and they need our attention through living with them through working with them and it might be that one or two of those at this point as I mentioned in your life or in my life might be that bit more important that one is standing out what are my daily actions in life are they nourishing, are they fulfilling are they supportive are they beneficial for oneself or others and if not, what are you going to do about it what are my intentions? How do I, what are my intentions when I relate to another uh, human being or relate to things uh, which are important uh, to me? What, what, how's my lifestyle? How's my relationship to things, to sustainability, to the environment and, and so forth? And then when we start really saying, well, this path is such a diverse and rich path which includes meditation, it includes retreat but it's not making that a self-existence understand? it's recognising that in connection and only in connection with everything else and therefore the meditation is not an end in itself, it's not a goal it's not the purpose of the spiritual life there and it's not important, no matter what they tell you, you should sit every morning and every evening. Don't buy this. And it's a meditation teacher, teacher talking to you, so <laughs> there's a little authority here. It could be that what is more important is the whole of the day. And for some people, do have a lovely, quiet, regular daily practice and I applaud people who do that and it is lovely there's that commitment but there is still the other 22 or 23 hours of the day as well and everything that comes out of our mouth is as important as sitting on the meditation cushion everything these days because at the time of the Buddha it was all um, organic food so everything which comes into our mouth has now become an important part of our practice and exploration and that also is important there every uh, uh, action that we are engaged in especially the, the major one whoa, that's a real part of our practice and much much more and that sense of the exploration in the larger uh, field it's a huge challenge we can't do it alone we do genuinely really need each other for this because I find and perhaps you do as well that there are some people who just precious who have such a understanding in certain uh, 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 areas such a, a wealth of experience in different ways Whoa, I just want to go and listen I just want to go and ask the question I did a couple of I may say couple of books 20-25 years ago consisting I don't know how many maybe 30 interviews with various people who I have much love and uh, respect for you know people who have really made a contribution there and I just wrote to them and said look can I come and see you can you make a time 
there and uh, and now to those conversations I personally I learned a lot and contributed to my development as a, a, a human being through just the listening to the other I may not agree with everything she or he said there may be areas where you really disagree uh, there but the learning process is going on and I think this exploration with regard to the path is a very rich one in the middle of this this is the point here it is very easy and I see this with some friends Dharma, Dharma friends who are really deeply committed to a really full rich way of living giving support to others being in various groups and connections uh, uh, with each other just realise secularism cannot offer a fulfilled way of life it's not possible it hasn't got the depth so it can't do it and religion far too often just religion that means the belief system of religion also can't give us all of that exploration it just religions that I know include in Buddhism the religion aspects of it just doesn't do it and somewhere there has to be a vast large middle way where we can draw on the important things of our secular culture especially when I'm in some difficult parts of the, <coughs> the world uh, in the India <coughs> and so forth I come back home and I come back to England and I am a fierce critic of England uh, uh, there. but sometimes I come back home and I just come back into the <coughs> into the city and the, the multicultural aspects of uh, London the <coughs> white is now the minority colour I just think I just love the diversity of all of that I, I, we, the nearest thing we have to a religion in England is the NHS the National Health Service you know, it, it's revered in England. You you can criticise everything, but be careful if you criticise our beloved NHS. You know, it's a little bit uh, uh, like that. And the, and the deep concerns that people have, and it, there are 190,000 charities in England. You know, it's people doing heartfelt things like Tobin is doing here, and I really appreciate what all the secular culture has to offer us uh, there. But I also know its limits. I know its limits. I have a Catholic up, upbringing uh, there and a, a deeply, religi deeply religious mother. I said to her, her Mum, you're more a Catholic than the Pope. And, uh, and, and so sometimes we had to agree we, 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 we would not mention the church. Sometimes, you know, with parents, there are some areas which are no-go areas. And with myself and my mother, it was the church uh, there. Uh, there and she said why can't you be a Catholic and I said well I am a Catholic I'm Catholic in my tastes I'm <laughs> Catholic in my troubles I'm a roaming Catholic <laughs> etc uh, so sometimes you have to know who we can talk to and who we can't about certain things <laughs> you know it's called noble silence isn't it <laughs> so all of this is part of the exploration and the practice uh, 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 which is important and in that coming to the transcendent the most significant the unmistakable the cannot give, be given up or forgotten or neglected 
is the transcendent and I want to touch upon this and a little bit of the reason for this the path of itself is really really precious really really precious and it offers us as a collective to really explore this human experience and if we live well and fully it's easy to die it's much much easier because we know life and death complement each other it's the sphere of death is primarily primarily due I, I would say to the feeling of not having lived fully and and so we might we can explore the path uh, there it's a language metaphor uh, obvious, obviously but what can happen the self committed to the path to ex- expand it and direct it into our secular life into our spiritual values if we have religious disposition into our religious uh, trusts and faith which is all precious and supportive uh, there but one can start measuring that's the self it measures oneself on the path and the measurements are usually in three or four different ways one of one of them is how far am I along the path sometimes on the path I feel I feel stuck sometimes I feel I am going two steps forward and three steps back sometimes I am not sure if I am on the path or if I am not so once the other is established it's called the path which is only a language metaphor which is beneficial but it carries a vulnerability for the self because the self might say I'm on the path, I'm not on it I'm struggling with it, I'm stuck and all of those kind of uh, views may arise the other, some, and it's a right uh, here, one looks at one's life and the view that arises I don't find it comfortable at all to have even the word spiritual around because I don't know what it means some will say, fair enough or the person may say I don't like I don't like the idea of being interrupted (laughs) I don't like the idea of being on the path uh, I don't like that kind of language uh, we must be free if that language is helpful and works for us fine to use it if that language you know, feels problematic and not very helpful one has the freedom not to use it to keep that clear once again in the exploration rather than the measuring with the path or the word we might use here the practice here it's the moments which transcend the situation which are of the (coughs) most importance and what I mean by that is that there can be experiences and discovery and insights which are greater than that's the transcendent greater than the event 
sometimes in life as an example. We imagine to ourselves, we think to ourselves, I can't do this. Whatever that might be, I, I just, I, I, can't, I can't do that. Uh, there. One person, because we had the uh, two inquiries yesterday evening, she said to me, this is in Australia, just two or three years ago, Christopher, I've been on a retreat with you every year for the past 16 years. One, every year, once a year, one week, it's her annual co commitment. And every year I've said to myself, I'm going to come up for an inquiry. Yeah. And she said, yes, this, this is the year. <laughs> usually on a retreat, I usually offer two or three evenings of inquiry. This is the year I'm going to come up for an uh, inquiry. And she said, yes, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And by the time she's got herself ready, somebody else is already walking up. So this went on year after, uh, after year. And then, finally, two or three years ago, there was the pause, and I remember she was kind of sitting just a few rows in the back there, and, and I didn't know this about this history. I didn't have her uh, holding back from coming up. And then the movement came, and she moved, and she came and sat down, and we had uh, an in inquiry. She transcended her own limits. She transcended, went beyond the holding back of the self. And then she told me that all these years had gone by there, and then the thought came afterwards, what was all the fuss about? <laughs> And sometimes it's like that. Oh, I can't, I can't, it's too much, it's too hard, it's too difficult. And then something in the deep, which is precious and beautiful, moves us. We move out of our limits. We transcend our own conditioning. We go beyond our own finiteness. And something else moves us. And we know women and men of this earth, sometimes we read or we hear, we have a conversation with somebody and they, wow, what comes out of the person is greater. Sometimes the manifestation of the, uh, of the transcendent element is not so much something coming out of us, but something much bigger than us there. And I think one of the, the potencies of prayer, as some, a small example of what I mean, that when <clears throat> men and women, we go down on our knees, and sometimes in some traditions put the hands down and the head to the floor, or just kneel in prayer, or just sit in our meditation uh, uh, posture, <clears throat> it can happen for us that our very small, modest, very, very short-lived life that you and I are sharing an experience together. And sometimes there is an expansion out of it. Not an out-of-the-body experience, but in fact out of the finiteness. And, and we have a sense of something expansive, something infinite, something which we can't hold or we can't get our hands on. And we might have a different languages for this. I went through the Buddha's teachings on the words 
that he used to describe the transcendent. And I went through the text. I found, I put them in a list in one of my books somewhere, uh, more than a hundred different words. And then I dreamed, why, why? Things like truth, reality, nirvana, uh, liberation, the unformed, the unconditioned, the, the, the formless, the, uh, the infinite, the vast, the immeasurable, the deep. God, truth, words which convey something bigger than oneself, be larger than the being there. And that, those transcendent experiences can come, as it were, on the path, for those who appreciate the language, and can come for those who have no interest to use the language of spirituality or path or, or whatever. And the important thing is, with those deep experiences of that which is vast or infinite or eternal or immeasurable, that sense of something vast or something very, very deep, it is the best contribution to getting our life into, into a perspective. The exaggeration of our self, our selfiness, the exaggeration of our selfiness brings about the contraction and the contraction brings about the pressure and the pressure brings about the worry, the anxiety, the fear, the agitation because we're contracted. We are living in a small selfie world. And that world is even shrinking more because of all the social media and the zombie-like on the street, etc. And somehow we've got to get that into perspective in order to renew and recover and rediscover the sense of something which is profound and deep. Primarily that the eternal gets into perspective what is in transition, i.e. you and me. And so rather than the view, oh, I am practicing, 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 in order to reach the end of the path uh, uh, there, I think that view is not, it's a difficult view because if it's like, oh, I've got to have some experience to confirm I'm at the end of the path, it means that the path will, as it were, get dropped, and now I've got it. There are a few gurus around with the I got it mindset, and I have it, and if you give me all your love and devotion and attention and your money as well and anything else, I'll give you what I've got. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> Very big oh dear, really. So, the path has the potential for the revelations, for the, dis for the discoveries, and it can be that in an important experience which you sense and know in yourself to be deep, you, know, you sense it really precious, and that can occur anywhere. That can occur at home, having your morning cup of tea, it can be 
walking along the beach, you can be having a coffee with a friend, you can be in a silent meditation, you can be reflecting, you can just be reading something, and something just emerges out of you, and you do, whoa, and how beautiful and extraordinary it is. And to give you a very small example, a very dear friend of mine, he is Israeli, um, uh, living in Britain with his uh, wife and uh, the kids. He's uh, an orchestra uh, uh, leader, really, really wonderful orchestra, and a wonderful orchestra leader, uh, Richard Gonski. And was brought up in uh, South Africa, and then when he was very young, came to live here in Israel, and then got a scholarship to the Guildhall School of Music in Britain, and blah, 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 now he's an orchestra so when he lives very nearby, and I love, just love going to the concerts uh, there. So just a few weeks ago, he was given a concert. He gives both contemporary and, and classical uh, there, and in Totnes, where I live. And I thought that um, the uh, concert for the evening started at 8 o'clock. And then I thought, well, I'd better just check. And, uh, and then I uh, looked at the, the programme. Oh, oh, shit. It's 7.30 it starts. And it was 7.25. And it's five minutes on my bike. I don't own a car, so it's five minutes on my bike. And I jumped on my bike. I tell you, if I could keep that up, I would win the Tour de France. I just <laughs> went, I went like a rocket. Uh, to, to get there for 7.30 and I jumped off the bike threw it off against the wall ran down the, ran down the corridor and what had happened was that the entire audience was already nicely in their seats the entire orchestra as they, they come in everybody clapping, they're all in their seats and Richard he's just standing outside because he's the conductor he comes in last and I'm running down the corridor and then he turned to me and he laughed. He said, Christopher, we're all waiting for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> a lovely moment. I rushed in, jumped into my seat, and then Richard walked in. And it, was, it was lovely. The first piece he played, so I was, you know, I was running, I sat there. The first piece he played, some of you know, is Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet. And the first part of it is this dynamic in which the two families, the two Italian families, um, are in conflict with each other. But Romeo has fallen totally, madly, hopelessly, marvellously, wonderfully in love with Juliet, and Juliet has fallen totally in love with Romeo. And then these time-honoured, transcendent words there, a rose is but a rose, call it by any name. Meaning, her surname doesn't matter. A rose is but a rose, never mind the name. And then the first part of the, uh, the symphony is the drama. You know, Tchaikovsky is amazing, the, the drama. And then suddenly, in one moment, he switches from the drama to the love of Romeo with Juliet and Juliet with Romeo. And boom, the tears. You know, just came out of the eyes. One has I had no expectation. Just sitting there loving it, and boom, 
the, t the eyes are all wet. I'm right, wiping my eyes there, trying to look at the orchestra. The, the, in, the, in the town, the, uh, the musicians, I can touch them, you know, they're, they're that close. It's incredibly uh, close and uh, uh, intimate in, in that way. And it's sometimes it's those moments where there's appreciation here. Love transcends the conflict. Two families are in conflict, but the love transcends it. And it's those moments in, in life in which something beyond the ordinary, beyond the difficulties and the hardship, and we need the touch of those. We need to feel that. That is part of our discovery and our, um, our realisations. And, oh gosh, the old time, it's rolling on here. It's 5.32 and you're all hungry. And... <laughs> <laughs> And then the staff will be wondering where we are. All right. So, the, in the experience of the moment which transcends the situation, which is bigger than, and all the ways that that uh, can touch us, it, of course, it will fade. Because it's a movement, and a movement of expression and awe and appreciation and wonder, whatever. It will fade there. But, like the Buddha commented on this, though it may fade, it's not that, okay, now I get back to my practice, now I go and do my meditations, or whatever it might be. One has the power of reflection, because in the important experience, it is an expression of the infinite, and that means there is infinite discovery to be made out of any important experience. Not only the difficult ones, but there are experiences which we have, um, primarily this evening, the, the precious and beautiful ones, which we really love and appreciate and acknowledge this experience, whatever it might be, but it has infinite potential. And that means the quiet may not be right after, it might be the next day or a few days later, or uh, to recall that experience what was precious about it what did I see clearly what was it that touched me uh, uh, about it and those kind of experiences are of value and also the reflection and with Gautamas himself Famously, perhaps one of the most famous stories in human history of one particular person sitting under the tree, waking up to a simple truth which is absolutely clear to him. Absolutely clear. There is suffering in this world and there is the resolution of this suffering. That was the fundamental core realisation of his. And from that experience there came the reflection and it is said he spent the next seven weeks giving some reflection to what he'd realised and seeing even though there were some doubts seeing how could this be applied because it didn't fit in with secularism it doesn't fit in with the yogi tradition of meditate meditate it doesn't fit in with the religious beliefs of um, the caste system, the Brahmins, reincarnation, etc. Something else 
was realized different uh, there. And it might be, that's an example, where you and I need some reflection on some important experience to see what insights and understanding may come, which gives nourishment and like having a good meal, when we make a good meal at home, we actually really enjoy sharing it with others. And the Dharma is the best meal of them all. <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> Let's have our quiet minute. Sorry. beings explore the richness of the Dharma. May all beings explore the depth of human experience. May all beings be touched with the transcendent. <coughs>